any questions about the sermon, or maybe you want to ask why I'm up here, and you want to ask the elders why, like, well, who are you? Um, you can text your questions in, and then we will later uh, try our best to answer the questions. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I pray that you do, uh, please open up your paper Bible, or if you like the e-version, just fire up your app, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. That'll be our main verses for this morning. Now, as you're turning there, I'm sure I need to introduce myself because you're probably wondering, who are you? So my name is Hyung Lee. Uh, I am a member here at Pillar Oceanside. And my wife, Katie, and I, Katie's in the back over there, uh, sitting in the back. Uh, we've been coming out here since, I think, mid-August, if I remember correctly. And recently, last month, <coughs> we were voted in as members of this church. So for those of you who are members, Thank you for voting us in, because if you said no, then I don't think I'd be up here uh, speaking to you all right now. And I'm thinking that a good number of you probably don't know who we are. Uh, you, you've probably just, just seen us every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, and you're thinking, who's that Asian couple that sits in the back right in front of the, the media table, and are they in the military, and what's their story, how did they find out about this church? Uh, I'll just tell you straight up, I am not in the military, I'm not in the Navy and the Marines, because just, just look at my body. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not swollen, ripped like our brother Mark here, because every time I see him, I'm like, oh my goodness, like he is just a chiseled man of God, and like, wow, there's just no way I could be like him. So, and then even yesterday during the men's breakfast, we were talking about old man strength, and just thinking, man, he's, he's so much more of a man than I am, so uh, I love you, brother. And... So Katie and I, we moved down here from, uh, moved down to San Marcos because she is a grad student at the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences, uh, studying in the OT program. OT meaning not Old Testament, but the more lucrative OT, which is occupational therapy. So that's what she's studying. And we moved down here from LA County uh, after I stepped down from uh, church staff as an associate pastor in the Torrance Redondo Beach area. So the Lord just led us down here to North San Diego County for her to start her program, for me to be a good husband in the next year or so, uh, just to support her. And by God's grace, he led us here to Pillar. And because of the elders, so I didn't force them, they asked me that I'm up here before you all. Now, as interesting as it might be to hear this Korean Texan talk about himself, I think you can agree with me but the more important matter is that we focus on the Word of God. Um, I need to say this because this is, this is really important. You should care infinitely more what God has to say in His Word than whatever gibberish that comes out of my mouth. Why? Because God's Word is eternal. God's Word is 100% true. So my job before you all this morning is to be as faithful to the Bible as possible. So can I get an amen? amen? All right, thank you so much. So if you're here, since obviously I don't know everyone here, and if you are not a Jesus follower, you're, you just, you're not a Christian or you kind of have questions about Christianity, I especially want to thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for taking your time out on this Portland, Oregon weather-ish like Sunday morning in San Diego to come here and 
to be with us and even to give me a hearing, someone you don't even know. And so uh, I'm sure if you have questions, please come talk to us, text in or talk to the elders after the service. So before we continue, uh, let me pray for us. And as I pray, please pray for me as well. Father God, we thank you for giving us this morning. Thank you for the songs that we've sung to seeing how great you are, that we can rejoice, that we can sing Hosanna, that we could give you praise, honor, and worship. And Lord, in this Advent season, as we celebrate the first coming of Christ and what that means for the whole world, and also in anticipation of the second coming, Lord, we're just in this period of the already but not yet. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather together as a church family to hear your word. Father, help me to be as faithful as possible, that whatever I say, that it would be faithful, that it would give you glory, that our hearts would be stirred in affection and joy in Christ. And Lord, for all of us, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open and ready to respond. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in our hearts and that we would give all glory and honor and praise to Christ, who is everything to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Now, as a church, we've been in a sermon series. Called More Like Him. Uh, in which we are examining each aspect of the fruit, okay, singular fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. So our anchor verses for, uh, for this sermon series comes from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, it should be up on the screen. I'll read it for us. It says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now today's message, today's sermon is focused on the aspect of goodness as a spiritual fruit. And I think you might agree with me that goodness is somewhat difficult to define when we compare to evil, but although it's difficult to come up with a definition, I think you can agree with me that when we see it, uh, it's pretty obvious and we can point it out, oh, that's pretty good. However, in order for us to be on the same page and really have a good understanding for this message, we do need to attempt to define this word. So uh, I've done a little research and I found a couple of biblical definitions uh, and I'll just read them off, and they'll be on the screen. Here's the first. Uh, goodness, it's integrity, being the same person in every situation, rather than a phony or a hypocrite. Uh, here's another definition. It says, intrinsic goodness, especially as a personal quality, with stress on the kindly rather than the righteous side of goodness. A third definition says this, good words and deeds. And then this last one, which comes from a Greek-English dictionary uh, on the Bible, says this, just one word, generosity. And so the definition is shorter than the title. <laughs> so the fruit of goodness from these definitions includes integrity, but it also includes doing good deeds and displaying generosity. Now, in the context of Galatians chapter 5, the idea of generosity and doing good is what we're going to focus on today. And in light of the overall sermon series of being more like Jesus, we do need to answer two related questions uh, that, as, a, as a starting point for all of us. Here's question number one. 
How did Jesus demonstrate and model goodness during his time on earth? And then question two, how do we see him as the ultimate example of goodness? Now, an initial response to these questions is to basically mention the miracles and the good deeds done by Jesus. For example, when there were thousands of people, 5,000 plus people who needed to be fed, what did Jesus do? As a good deed, he took from the little Jewish boy the Hebrew happy meal of five loaves and two fish, and he blew it up, and he fed everybody, and they had a lot left over. Or you have the other good deed of when Jesus generously protected and he forgave the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Or there are instances when he healed people or he raised people from the dead. So we could, in a sense, summarize the good that Jesus did really with the following verse from Acts chapter 10, which says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So that's a good summary. But then we have to ask another question about us. What is the standard of good or goodness that we are to live as followers of Christ? What's the standard that you and I, as believers, are to live in order to cultivate goodness as fruit of the Spirit? And how you and I answer this question opens a window, I think, into our views of Jesus and his standard of good. And this question isn't really just for us, because in Matthew chapter 19, a young man asks Jesus a similar type of question. So in Matthew 19, verse 16, the chapter before, says this, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So then the young man asks, okay, which commandments am I supposed to keep? And then Jesus responds by listing the second half of the Ten Commandments. And then surprisingly, this young man says, well, that he's done all these good deeds and done the good by obeying all the commandments. And you're thinking, really, you obeyed all the commandments without error? And then Jesus, because he knows this guy's heart, then demands the following in verse 21 of chapter 19. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So if you want to be doing ultimate good, give it away, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So, it seems that this young man couldn't be generous with his wealth and then do good to others with his possessions. And then after this guy leaves, Jesus then says that it's difficult for rich folks to enter heaven. And then the disciples just flip out. Oh my gosh, what? And then Peter, being the rep for all the disciples, basically complains to Jesus that he and the other disciples have given up everything and the suffer to do good to follow Jesus. Like, Lord, we've done all of this. And then Jesus ends this conversation at the end of Matthew 19 by saying the following sentence. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Okay, what an interesting statement, right? And then, as I'm sure the disciples are thinking, what does he mean by this? 
he elaborates this point, this statement on what's really good, going back to that young man's question, by sharing a parable story which leads us to today's verses. So hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 20 now. So let's start in verse 1. <coughs> For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house and who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So Jesus begins his story with a rich landowner deciding to hire day laborers to work on his vineyard. So he goes out early in the morning, and this is the Jewish workday, which began at 6 a.m. Okay, that's really early, 6 a.m., and he meets a few workers, and then this landowner decides to hire these men to work the whole day for a denarius each. Now, if you're reading the ESV translation, there's a footnote that says a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So to give us a better understanding and a context as to what a denarius is, uh, here's a picture that I found, Google Images, of a denarius. So it's just one coin, and on the left side's the front, and the front would be the image of the current emperor when you stamped and made the coin. So this coin, this denarius, was one day's wage worth of work. Uh, a modern-day example would be a farmer in Central California going out, finding some migrant workers, hiring them for the day, and then paying them a set minimum wage. So think in that context, it's an agricultural society. So, okay, this is what they agreed to. So here's the thing. If you owned a denarius today, like if you actually owned one of these coins, it's actually worth a lot more than one day's wage uh, since they're kind of rare. And I'm thinking if I had a couple of these, I could easily pay, help pay for my wife's loans and her grad school. Um, maybe I'll have to go to Israel and look for some. I don't know. So it seems here initially in this story that we have a good deal. This landowner is generous. He's looking for some workers, and he finds them, and he desires, uh, decides to hire them. And then these workers are receiving the generosity of being able to work and to get paid so that they can feed themselves and feed their families. And getting paid for these workers is a tremendously huge deal because at that time, there's no welfare. There's no Medi-Cal, Social Security no unemployment benefits, there is no like, safety net, so to speak, that could protect them. And this is the typical scenario for that time period. So then we continue on verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So at 9 a.m., <clears throat> which is the third hour, the landowner goes out again to the marketplace, and he sees other workers who haven't yet been hired, and then he hires these guys, and he says that he will pay them whatever is right, basically whatever he thinks is good and generous, that he's going to pay these men. But it seems, apparently, that this vineyard is either super gigantic or it's like uber harvest season, or is there some other reason? Because again, this guy goes out, this owner, at noon and 3 p.m., the sixth and the third hour, to hire more workers for the day. So it seems that this landowner, he needs to hire some more good work, and he's willing 
to generously pay for it. So up until now, as Jesus is telling this parable, this would have made complete sense to the society at that time. As I said, this is an agricultural society. Farming is such a big deal. So you have an owner, he goes out, he hires workers. The workers say, yeah, I want to be hired. They agree on a payment. After the day, at the end of the day, you get paid and you go home and the next day you go out and see if he'll hire you again or maybe he'll hire someone else. This is just a standard practice for that time period. But then as we start in verse 6, Jesus starts to make his story just a bit interesting. So let's go to verse 6. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Verse 7, they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So a working day for Jews at that time was 12 hours, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's a long day. So this owner going out at the 11th hour means he went out again to the marketplace at 5 p.m., okay, 5 p.m., and he hired more guys to do the work. Now, I don't know about you, doesn't that sound a bit odd? Right, you're just going to go out and hire some folks who work only one hour? Well, it seems that this owner, he really wants to be generous in paying the people. He wants to hire more guys, he wants to pay them. Now, if if I am actually one of these 11th hour workers, I'm thinking that I want to do the best good work as I possibly can, right? I only got one hour to do some work, and hopefully if I do a good job in one hour, the next morning this landowner will see me again, and he will generously hire me for a full day's work so I can get paid and earn some more money. So he hires these guys, they start working, and we get to 6 o'clock, the end of the workday, and then we get to verse 8. Verse 8 says, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So this owner, the landowner, tells his foreman, his manager, to line up all the workers, okay, gather them all together, and to pay them, beginning with the most recent hires. Now, if you're an 11th hour guy, you just got hired at 5 p.m., now it's 6 p.m., how much are you getting paid? Because if the going rate for all day's work is one denarius, that one coin, you're just receiving one-twelfth of that amount, correct? That, that just makes sense. Because there is absolutely no way that you're going to approach the manager and ask him to pay you more. Because that would be utterly, completely disrespectful, right? That just, you don't do that type of thing because you would be abusing the generosity of this owner, and you're probably not going to get hired again. So if you're the 11th hour worker, as you get up to go get paid, you will probably gladly receive what's being given to you, and you're going to be thankful for the owner's good generosity. So that's what we expect, right? But then let's go to verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. I'm thinking, just trying to use my imagination, if there was social media back then, <laughs> someone's blasting Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, maybe even Snapchat, and they're spreading the news that for one hour of work, some of these guys generously received 
the good gift of a full day's pay. I have a question for all of us. Right? Whether you are in the military or not, uh, anyone here want to work for only one hour a day and then get paid for a full day? It should be all of us, right? Hey, hey, only one hour and then I can play and get paid? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what's going on here. You know, and you're thinking, that's ridiculous. These guys only worked one hour and then they got paid for a full day's work? And then, if we're really thinking here, it's likely because you're standing in line watching all this happen, that the other guys are looking at this and then some of them are probably calculating in their heads, okay. He got paid a whole denarius. How much more? How much cash and coin am I going to receive today? This is my lucky day. Praise God. But then the other guys, as they go up to receive their money, what happens? They receive the same thing, one denarius. What? Shouldn't I be earning more? That's not right. That's not good. But in order to be respectful and not make a scene, uh, no one says anything in public, and they just get their phones and start do, 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 right? social media, and just to mention the weirdness of this situation. Now imagine with me, if, you were, if we were with these 11, or the, the guys who worked at the beginning of the day, right, who were hired at 6 a.m., right? they're at the back of the line, they're seeing everything happen in front of them. They're likely exhausted, tired, burned by the sun, because it's not lovely San Diego, Southern California sun. It's Middle East scorching hot sun. Okay? They've been burned. They're tired. They just want to get paid so they could get, go home and get some rest and wake up the next day and start working again. And as they see all these things happening, on some level, they're probably thinking, you know what, I hope, though, I'll still get paid just a bit more because, you know what, I've been here all day. I put in some good work. Shouldn't this guy be a little generous to me and pay me just a little bit? And these guys who only worked one hour got the full pay. Shouldn't I deserve more? This is only fair and good, and it's rightfully mine. And then the moment of truth arrives, verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So if you're one of these guys, you've worked all day, and you just got paid the same as everyone else who worked less than you, what's going through your mind? This ain't good. I've been cheated. This is the worst day of my life. And for sure now, Facebook and all the other social media, it's blowing up. Right? This guy's not a good owner. He doesn't seem to understand some basic money principles. So all this nonverbal shock, disappointment, hurt, maybe even anger, then finally spills out, and we get to verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I think... If we were in the same situation, we would probably be protesting just like these folks, right? I worked all day in the sun. This is all I get. There's no good in this. The owner's not a generous guy. 
You know what? He's actually stingy. He only cares about his profits. All right, we've been used. We've been taken advantage of. And you know what? Since it's a group of us, let's form a union. We've got to fight for our workers' rights. Let's fight back. Maybe some other words of complaint are in these guys' minds and, and just coming out, spewing at the manager and also at the owner who's probably right next to the manager. So then how does this owner respond to these complaints? Because it doesn't seem, right, to be a good business model and this guy's reputation will probably take a hit and it's probably going to go down and then who's going to want to work for a man who doesn't pay good and fair wages? Well, verse 13, we see his response. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Now, is the owner correct in his answer? Yeah, he is. Technically, he's, he's right. Because if it's his money, he can get however he wants. And if we go back to verse 2, he didn't make a verbal agreement with these guys, right? About one denarius for a one day's work, and he's just doing what he promised. So really, in light of the entire situation that's going on, these workers aren't really doing good, and their grumbling isn't really legit. And then Jesus, in this parable, presses on us about our hearts compared to God's heart. So let's look at the last part, the second part of verse 15. This is what Jesus says. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now the ESV footnote here says that this question can also be asked in the following way. Is your eye bad or evil because I am good? Well, what does that mean? Well, at that time period, this was an expression, an idiom of saying to express jealousy. If you had an evil eye, you were jealous. So the NIV and some other translations say it this way. Are you envious because I am generous? Okay, so then what is Jesus really saying to the disciples and what's he saying to us? Today? What's the main takeaway? Well, if you remember only one thing from this sermon, please remember this as the main point. God is good and generous. Please repeat it after me. God is good and generous. generous. Alright, say this to the neighbor next to you. God is good and generous. Okay, why? Why is this such a big deal that God is good and generous? Well, let's go to the last verse, verse 16. This is what Jesus says. So the last will be first and the first last. So because God is good and generous, his standards are always good and are always right. Well, didn't Jesus say this before? Yeah, he did, right? And the last verse of the previous chapter, right before he goes into this parable, he said basically the same exact thing about the first being last and the last being first. Now, here's a question for us. Who does the landowner in this parable represent? Yeah, Jesus or God. What about the grumbling workers? Who are they? They're us. So with this in mind, consider these words from a pastor in North Carolina. We love it when God is generous with us, and it bothers us when he seems to be more generous with others. You know how to make 
a kid very happy? Give him a toy. You know how to make him very unhappy? Give his sister two toys. We all like grace, but we want it to be fair grace. We want grace apportioned as we see fit. We want mercy to be given to those who deserve it most, people like us, naturally. But if grace has to measure up or fulfill some calculation, it's not really grace, is it? Do you really want God to be in the fairness business with you? Isn't it better to accept that everything you have is by grace and all they have is by grace as well? Our good master passes out the denarius as he sees fit because it's his denarius. None of us would get a denarius if God didn't go out into the streets, hire us, promise us his goodness, and then deliver on his word. So let him hire more workers and pay them whatever he wants. A mark of a mature Christianity is that we root for each other. Let God be God and let him be good on his own terms. He's been good to you. Let him be good to others as good as he wants to be. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, and if we agree that we are the complaining workers, right, we typically believe that we deserve God's goodness, but then we explode with jealousy when he is gracious and generous to other people that we don't think deserve it, right? And then I start thinking, oh, well, I think I've done enough to earn something from God, and yet God doesn't owe me or you anything. Nada, nothing. Why? Because he is good and he is generous as he sees fit. And here's the thing. God's standards of good don't match with the world's definitions, which then, for us as believers, ought to humble and motivate us to do good and to be generous to other people. So God being good and generous means his goodness should be cultivated in our lives. Do you believe this? So because God is good and generous, and because Christians are to follow Jesus, we must answer a couple of questions. Question one, what does goodness look like in our lives? Question two, how do we cultivate the goodness of God as Christians? So to answer these questions, uh, I have three practical applications for us this morning. Here's application number one. Do good to everyone, specifically to fellow members in the church. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, if I'm not a family member of a household of faith, and that's basically in reference to a local church, then I'm going to have a really difficult and tough time living these verses out. So if you are a Christian here, and you aren't yet a member of this local church family, I would just love, I would just like to lovingly plead and push you to consider being a member and going through the membership process of this church. And don't worry, the elders did not pay me to say that, okay? They did. Because as a member, if you become a member, if you're a Christian here, you're not a member, you do become a member, you do have the privilege of doing good to the other members of the Pillar family, and then we as the Pillar family can do 
good to you. We have that privilege as well. And for those of us who are already members, we have the joy, right, of engaging with our fellow sisters and brothers in Christ and doing good to one another. Amen? All right, here's number two. Pray for others to do good. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 say this. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord and the, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I want to pray well for others, I first need to know them in community, right? And the best opportunity, I would say, to know others in community at this church is in the context of life groups. Again, the elders are not paying me to say these things. At this church, and the elders have repeated it multiple times, is that if I want to mature and grow, in spiritual vitality and help, it's through life groups in a smaller setting where I get to rub shoulders and do life with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know this is our last week for life groups, and we're on break for a month for the winter, and yet we can still continue to cultivate relationships of prayer and continue to invite others to join. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Here's the last application. Number three, live by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, and 25 say this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, Galatians 5, 15, and 25, these are commands that bookend the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So here's the thing. If I truly desire to cultivate the fruit of goodness, then I must follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. And I follow the lead of the Spirit by constantly not moving away from the gospel. Well, why is that? Why is the gospel so important in order to live by the Spirit? Well, Jesus Christ, as we've seen in Matthew 20, he is the ultimate standard of goodness, right? Because he's the only one who's truly good. That he's answering the question of the young man in Matthew 19. And because you and I are sinners, we are fundamentally rebels against God. We aren't fundamentally good. In fact, and this is not a popular thing in our world, you and I are so at the core evil, wicked, and corrupt and bad that we don't deserve any good from God. Welcome to church. And God, here's the thing, he is not required to show us any good favor at all. He doesn't need to do that. And if that was it, that's a horrible bad news. But the gospel, good news, the beauty of it is because that God, because Jesus is God and he's the God who's so generous and he's the God who's so good, he came into this world, right? Born of a virgin. That's what we're doing here with these candles, Advent and Christmas. We are celebrating that our Savior has come into this world to do good to us. And not only that, after he was born, he lived the perfect life of obedience, of good and generosity as our perfect example to follow God. How do we live the good life? And not only that, Jesus then demonstrated his ultimate goodness by then going to the cross, 
right? Giving up his own life, sacrificing himself for all of our sins, all of our past sins, all of our present sins, all of our future sins, all the sins that you and I are going to commit after this service ends, before we hit the bed and go to sleep for tomorrow, even those future sins, Jesus Christ on the cross said, all those times you were not generous, all those times you did not do good, I'll just take that. I'll pay for that. Just give that to me. Right? That's Good Friday. But then there's more to that, right? That then three days later, on the Sunday, he rose from the dead to show that he is the good and generous God. That's Easter. So then he ascended into heaven, and then we are waiting for him to come back one day to make everything good and right and beautiful in this world. And then here's the cool thing. He generously offers to everyone everywhere, me and you, the goodness of himself, his very self, and eternal life. And eternal life is not some future thing. It's a life now, a life of the deepest possible joys, meaning, pleasures, satisfactions, desires that every single man, woman, and child on this planet was created to live. But this generous and good gift of the gospel can only be received by us when we acknowledge that I am a sinner, unworthy of His grace, and I repent. That's what the Bible says. I turn from sin. And then in faith, what the Bible says, I say, Lord, I believe you. I trust in you. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You've done so much good to me. I just want to do good back to you and to others. This is the good and generous gospel that's available to all of us. And this is free. You don't pay for it. It is full. It's not partial. It's forever. There is no expiration date to this. Now, friends, uh, if, again, if you're not a believer here, if you're not a Jesus follower, I just want to ask you to please consider what I've just tried to communicate today and how this, what the Bible says, compares with your understanding of goodness and generosity. Because I think you owe it to yourself to really examine what's true and good and beautiful in this world. And sisters and brothers of Pillar, Let's not deviate from Jesus. Right? Let's continue to follow him together. Amen? Right? This is our privilege. This is our responsibility. And he, our Lord and Savior, calls us to replicate and to multiply his goodness and generosity to others. Now, in the season of Advent, you know, people like to talk about that this is the most wonderful time of the year, right? But maybe for a couple of us, maybe we just don't feel it. Maybe a couple of us are thinking that, you know, all this stuff about doing good, cultivating goodness, I don't know, and I'm having a difficult time. It's exhausting. I feel drained. This is not a fun Christmas season. And what's, I've tried it. It's not great. And maybe I just... I should just give up. I should just punt on this Christianity and this Jesus thing. This is just, it's not worth it. Maybe that's one or two of us in this room. And you know what? I've thought that too at times. Like, man, this, the struggle is real. I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Maybe I should just give up. 
So I just want to end for, in our time together just an encouragement to myself and to you with the gospel promise from 1 Peter 2 for us to keep going, to keep trusting in Jesus and to keep doing good even when we suffer and even when we don't feel appreciated. 1 Peter 2.19 says this, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are, you are a God who is so generous and good and gracious to us. You are the good God. Lord, we ask that you would continue to display evermore in our hearts and our minds and our lives your goodness and your generosity. And Lord, from all the good you have given to us in Christ, in the power of the gospel, help us then to model that to one another, to love one another, to replicate and multiply and show to this world that the greatness of who you are, the goodness of who you are, the true depths of even this season of Christmas and Advent are only found in Christ. Father, thank you that even though we fail every day in cultivating goodness and doing good to one another, you still continue to forgive us because you're so good, so good to us. Lord, thank you that despite just who we are and where we've come from, that you have called us to yourself and now you call us to go out to do good to one another and to this world so that your name would be praised. Father, we thank you again for this time of being in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.